along to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Edward Knight. And I'm Andrew Nichols. And today on the show, we've got four case studies of recent cases that have been referred to the Tenancy Tribunal and their outcomes. Now, I always love doing these episodes where we go through the Tenancy Tribunal cases because whenever we read through something that's gone wrong, between a tenant and a landlord or a property management company and a tenant, because anything that's gone to the tenancy tribunal, almost by definition, something's not quite gone to plan. The reason I love these is because they exhibit the broad principles that we talk about. So we might talk about a principle to do with tenancy law, but this is where the rubber hits the road and you can kind of see it in context. So we have four case studies. Andrew and I are each going to take two and just walk through what's actually happened here. So the first I want to talk about was between a tenant and Lodge City Rentals. So this was for a property in Hamilton. And in the end, the tenant was awarded $620.44. Now, Now, this was because they'd been awarded some exemplary damages for things like there was a hole in the wall, the blinds weren't quite right. There were some issues to do with the property before it was actually tenanted. So actually, let's just talk about the hole in the wall before I talk about the other interesting point I want to talk about. So here there was a hole in one of the walls in the kitchen that was there from the start of the tenancy. And the thing is, the landlord had failed to repair that hole throughout the entire length of the tenancy. And they had been asked at least three times from the partner of the tenant in order to be able to go and do this. And actually, the landlord themselves, not the property manager, was told on at least one occasion that this needed to be remedied. And they had claimed that some other things had happened because of this. So the tenant had claimed that cockroaches had, and i got terrible word that, um, but the cockroaches and some insects had got into the property because of this hole in the wall. They'd also claimed that there was an additional hole that had gone to the outside. So there was a direct, uh, I guess, passage to the outside of the property from inside. Now, there hadn't been evidence of those insects coming into the property. There wasn't evidence presented by the tenant that what that hole actually connected to the outside. So the judge or the adjudicator in this instance didn't find in the tenant's way because of that, but they did allow quite a small amount, $300 of exemplary damages for the tenant in this way. So I have two points. First of all, I think It's really interesting that when things go to Tenancy Tribunal, often the exemplary damages are really quite small. And Andrew, I know one of your cases that we're going to get into has an example of where those damages were small and one where the damages were actually quite large. But the more interesting point for me is that the tenant had applied for a refund on the increased rent. So while tenanting this property, the actual rent they were being charged had been increased And they were saying, well, I want that increase of rent back because all of these things, the hole in the wall, the ceiling, the blinds, they hadn't been fixed while I was tenanting that property. So the issue became much, much larger. Well, yeah. So they were saying, well, if you've put my rent up now, and they'd obviously accepted it at some point, they were saying, well, I want that increase of rent back. Now, the adjudicator in this instance has said, no. The rent increase was in line with market and I am satisfied that it was done in the correct way so you don't get that back. The other interesting thing here is that it took two months for the tenant to go to the tenancy tribunal after the lease had actually ended. So the lease had already ended, they waited two months and then took it in. And so that's one reason why the exemplary damages here were quite small, only $600 in total for three different issues, because they had shown that it wasn't actually urgent. 
Otherwise, they would have done it straight away. Is there a cutoff there? Do you know? I don't know if there's a cutoff, but There'd I think... There'd just be statute of limitations. This is, but the interesting thing about that, Ed and I were talking off air about how it's interesting that all of this is public. If I were a tenant, I'd probably want to do it afterwards as well so that it didn't affect my ability to get a new lease somewhere else. That's very true. I can see that point of view. But even so, as soon as you've got that new lease secured... If this really was as urgent as had been claimed by the tenant, then perhaps there would have been more urgency. Now, let's dig into your next case study, Andrew. So this is an interesting one I saw on Stuff, and it was a landlord fined because he failed to carry out urgent repairs, which resulted in the tenant falling 1.5 metres on stairs. And actually, funnily enough, in in my apartment that I lived in up until recently, we had huge stairs with very narrow tread, and I was victim to those stairs a couple of times after big nights out? No, not really. And actually Lauren as well fell down them and it can be pretty serious if you only fall even a few steps. If it catches you off guard you can clip your head or something like this. In this instance she broke her knee and ended up taking the property management company Low & Co to the tribunal. In this instance the fine was $2,000, 500 of which was compensation and $1,500 was due to the landlord breaching their obligations. So actually only $500 for the actual accident itself, which which meant that the tenant was off work for three months. Pretty serious. And what was interesting was that she had to take surgery and was in hospital for two days. So I was surprised how small those damages were, because if we were in America and you know the landlord hadn't done all of these things, can hundreds you, of thousands of oh, dollars. Can you imagine it? It would be something obscene. So that's an instance where I was really surprised how small those damages were. And the reason there was not just that the stairs were a bit narrow, it was actually- Oh, that, sorry, yeah. Yes. That, that'd been sagging, there was some long-term damage that, and there'd been a number of notices from the tenant to the landlord for repairing those. So The important thing here is often we as landlords, as we spoke about in our last episode, we might defer maintenance for a wee while and think, oh, that's not that urgent. But if it has any element of safety linked to it, you do have to treat it with urgency. And you could understand perhaps why the landlord wouldn't have treated that as seriously because it was outdoor stairs. They weren't internal. They're kind of garden stairs. But still, something really unfortunate happened to this tenant and I was quite surprised how small those damages were. The next one I want to talk about, and this didn't go through the tenancy tribunal, but I tell you what, it did make me feel quite smug after how much we've talked about a specific type of legislation that's come in under the new Residential Tenancies Act. So this was from Newsroom, and the headline was, The State Spends $300,000 on Guards Over Bad Tenants. So this is a development in Mount Albert in Auckland, and it's a kainga ora, or what used to be Housing New Zealand, development. And so it's mixed. There are some owner-occupiers in there. There are some state tenants. And initially, it wasn't clear, why is the government spending $300,000 over, I think it was was a five-month period on full-time security, 24-7 security at the specific property. Now, initially, they came back and said, well, it's because we don't have a gate in there yet. So the, the automatic gate isn't there. We're going to put in some security. Newsroom didn't like this. Let's lodge some more official Information Act requests, which are a beautiful thing, by the way, in New Zealand for holding the government to account of these, these official Information Act requests. Now, it turns out the real reason there was some secondary violence within this development that had occurred, not between tenants, but there was a very unfortunate home invasion. But on top of this, there was some significant anti- 
antisocial behavior. So let me tell you what that antisocial behavior was before I tell you why this is a, a little bit ironic. So it had showed that there had been an ongoing dispute for several months between neighbors and Kainga Aura over some general behavior of one tenant and her visitors. And it's not just the neighbours. Other state tenants had been talking about that there was a lot of late night noise, there was rowdy behaviour with visitors, partying, drunkenness, abusive behaviour, lockdown breaches during during the COVID-19 lockdowns, and some suspicions of criminal behaviour. So a lot of stuff you don't want going on if you're in a, a tight-knit development of, in this case, 24-bedroom townhouses. Now, the reason I think this is a bit ironic is that the government has just taken out, under the new RTA restrictions, the 90-day no-cause evictions, so that when there is antisocial behaviour, it used to be really easy to get rid of somebody, get rid of a problem tenant, because you could rely on that 90-day no-cause termination. Well, the wonderful thing about being Kainga Aura or being the state is you can just move them to a different property in this case, which is what they did. Now, had it been a normal residential tenancy, they would have had to give notice three times at the tenancy tribunal and have the neighbours prove that there was antisocial behaviour going on within that tenancy. But of course, when you're the state... When you're the government. When you're the government, you don't have to worry about the rules that you've set for landlords. So I just thought that was an interesting one to talk about because of that. What's good for the goose is good for the government. And then the last one we're going to talk about is a tenant that ended up getting a fine. And the situation here was they left the house in a pretty bad state by the sounds of it. I'm guessing that the bond didn't cover all of the cleaning that needed to be done. And so there was a $1,431.18 awarded to the landlord for cleaning, carpet cleaning, and the oven, which is crazy. And then there was another $1,000 exemplary damages, and that was for tampering with the... Smoke alarms. For tampering with the smoke alarms. So what they'd done is they'd rendered them inoperable by removing the battery or something like that, and they'd been warned on a couple of occasions not to do that because, of course, the risk to insurance and stuff like that, if there was a fire, might not be covered in the event of those being removed and it being found out. And so the judge took this pretty seriously and charged them an extra thousand dollars for that. So about two and a half grand fine. So pretty significant amount. And yeah, I think in that instance, I was surprised how much it was for continually tampering with the smoke alarms in that case. And the adjudicator had said, look, this is a big hefty fine. But what we want to do here is to deter other tenants from tampering with smoke alarms. So if we dole out some pretty big fines, perhaps tenants will be less likely to do this. And I think in some cases, perhaps unfortunately necessary that you've got to dole out some of those fines. But it's a serious impact on the landlord had something gone wrong. Now, what's interesting in this case is that the damages are taken by the landlord. You don't think that's odd? I think it's actually good to show that the law is set up to protect both sides of it. And yes, landlords have a responsibility to do things like take care of steps and tenant safety, but also tenants have to take a certain amount of responsibility as well. Yes. And I think what's interesting when you do start to read through some of these judgments is how separate some of these issues become. So if I just think about the earlier case study where the tenants had tried to claim back some of the increased rent and the adjudicator said, no, you can't do that because that was done lawfully. I just enjoy reading through these. How nerdy is that? But <laughs> to see how the adjudicators are processing these issues and kind of trying to segment each issue out so that it's separate and you can judge on each of these. And I just think that whether you're a property manager or you're an investor, it can be interesting to look at these just so that you can think really clearly when you're dealing with a tenant. Yes. 
and to understand, well, how might the Tenancy Tribunal adjudicate a deal with this issue? How would they see it? And I really enjoy that compartmentalised yes. thinking. And you've got to keep that relationship really nice because if it, uh, when it turns bad and sour, that's when you end up in front of the Tenancy Tribunal. Fantastic. Let's wrap it up there. But please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. It really does help us get the message out to more people. And hey, have you got a podcast idea for us? Text us. Our number is 5522. And Andrew just asked me before, oh, do people need to send a keyword? Do they have to text property to 5522? No, that's our number. So you can just text us anything there and we will respond to you. It comes to Andrew and I, and that means that we can make this a two-way conversation rather than us just nattering in your ears every single day. So we're really excited about this because it does mean that we can respond more fully and more easily to you and giving you the sort of stuff that you're after from us. So send us a text 5522. for listening to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Ed McKnight. And I'm Andrew Nichols. We're going to be back again tomorrow with even more daily strategies, tactics and insights to help you get the most out of the New Zealand property market. Until next time.